Now, would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22? We're going to carry on in our studies in Luke, but uh, hopefully you'll see the relevance of it as we uh, go through it. So, Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. Thomas Cranmer was appointed Archbishop of Canterbury in 1533 and became one of the leaders of the English Reformation. It was him who really compiled the uh, Anglican uh, prayer book. When Mary came to the throne, he was removed from office and he was put in prison. He was forced to watch the burning of his two friends, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, and under great pressure, he signed a statement in which he repudiated, recanted of his faith. It was probably the greatest publicity coup that those hostile to the Reformation uh, had. One of their leaders, the leaders of the Reformation, recanted and had come back to the fold. However, Mary decided to burn him anyway, and uh, on the morning of his death, he was taken to a church in Oxford to be paraded and humiliated before the congregation. They asked him to speak, and he prayed, and he prayed like this, "'You not, did not give your son unto death for small sins only, but for all the greatest sins in the world.'" so that the sinner may return to you with his whole heart, as I do now come to you. And their ears pricked up at that. But before the congregation, he declared that he repented not of the doctrines of the Reformation, not, not of the doctrines of the Reformation, but forever denying them. And he finished by saying this, this hand that hath signed... Uh, when I come to the fire, signed the, uh, the statement where he recanted and repudiated his faith, this hand, when I come to the fire, shall be burnt first. The congregation, horrified, rushed forward and seized him and took him to the place where he was put to be put to death. And as the fire was lit, he stretched out his hand, the hand that had signed uh, uh, the, the statement, and he put it into the flames until it was burnt to a stump. He cried out from the flames, This hand hath offended. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Failure for Thomas Cranmer was not final. In that one public act, he regained his testimony 
and restored his influence for Bible truth. He had failed and failed miserably. He had denied the truth of the gospel, but his failure was not final. And that's the repeated message of the Bible. Failure is not final. That God can not only forgive and heal, He can restore us to a place of usefulness in His kingdom. And we see that in many places in the Bible, in Moses, in Samson, in in David, in Solomon, in Jonah, John Mark in the New Testament, but nowhere is it so clearly seen as in the life of Peter. He is the ultimate illustration of that principle that failure is not final. And it's Peter that we want to look at tonight. And I want you, first of all, to notice the temptation that he encountered. Look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded uh, to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Notice who this is addressed to. Notice the focus of this prediction. Here our Lord is telling us, uh, telling the disciples that some severe um, test was about to come upon them. And He addresses that to all the disciples. The word you there is in the plural, second person plural, which refers not only to Peter but to all the disciples. If the NIV really stood for the Northern Ireland version, we would translate that as use, use. Satan has asked to sift use, plural, uh, like wheat. So, this difficulty or this temptation was not simply directed to Peter. It was directed uh, to Peter, but not exclusively to Peter, but to all of the disciples. Our Lord describes it as a sifting as, uh, of wheat. Now, that phraseology is very descriptive. Um, sifting was a process where the wheat, after being crushed, was put into a sieve. It was shaken back and forth vigorously um, uh, to separate the chaff from the kernel. The chaff would rise to the surface, and either, depending on what kind of sieve it was, the kernel would drop through the sieve, through the mesh, and uh, the chaff would be disposed of, or else it would be thrown up in the air, and the wind would drive the chaff away, and the uh, kernel would drop in uh, back into the container. The whole process speaks of a severe and violent trial that was about to envelop these disciples leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, in verses 35 to 38, we get an insight of the type of testing uh, that they would face. Um, look at verse uh, 35. Uh, and he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. You remember in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus sent out the twelve to preach and to heal, He said to them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money bag, no extra tunic. Um, Whatever house you enter in any village or town, stay there until you finish in that place. When he sends out the 70 in Luke chapter 10, he says, do not take a purse or bag uh, or sandals. 
or an extra pair of sandals. But things were different. Jesus and his message were much more widely accepted by the people then. And the disciples, as they went out to preach and teach, could depend on the kindness and the hospitality of the wider population. But not now. Things were about to change. They would need a purse, they would need a bag, and they would need a sword. The sword referred to a multi-purpose tool. It was used for cutting wood, skinning animals, slicing vegetables and bread, and of course for defending yourself. No traveler would ever travel without one of these small swords. It was equivalent to a Swiss army knife. You're going to need it, says Jesus. You'll not be able to depend on other people for hospitality and kindness. To quote Bob Dylan, times they were a-changing. And the reason for that change is recorded in verse 37. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what was written about me has its fulfillment. Now, that's a significant verse because it tells us that Jesus, he was numbered with the transgressors, is a quote from Isaiah 53, but it tells us that Jesus understood Isaiah 53 to speak of him. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying? He says, attitudes to you are about to change, and they're about to change towards you because they have changed about me, because I'll be counted as a transgressor, as a uh, renegade, as an uh, outlaw, as an offender. You, as my followers, are going to receive the brunt of that uh, hostility because of the change in attitude towards me and you will be rejected and no longer supported by the general population. That's the change that would take place. That's the trial that would envelop these disciples. It was a a temptation, if you like, to peer pressure when everyone turns against you and you no longer have the support and sympathy of the wider population. And that experience would be a real temptation, not just to the disciples in general, but to Peter in particular. Although all of the disciples would be subjected to that temptation, our Lord singles out Simon, Peter in particular, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Now, why single out Peter, Simon in particular? And why single him out in the most serious of tones, Simon, Simon? In the ancient Near East, the repetition of a name conveyed seriousness, solemnity. Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But why Peter? Why single him out in these serious tones and tell him uh, that he was about to face great temptation. Well, I think you get a little hint of that in his name, Simon, Simon. The Lord doesn't say Peter, Peter. Remember our Lord had changed uh, his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock, and it speaks of what he would become by grace, but he wasn't a rock yet. 
He was very much unstable and unpredictable, impetuous at times. You see, he was temperamentally prone to these extremes of displaying great faith and then lacking uh, confidence. And you see, all of us are, are different. We can all be tempted in different ways. And what might be a severe temptation to you may not be a severe temptation to me, and vice versa. And so our Lord singles out Peter for a special warning because he was particularly susceptible to this temptation of crumbling under pressure. The rock was about to crumble. The focus of it. Notice the source of it. Notice the temptation comes from Satan. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. The NIV translates that ask, but uh, it's an intensification of asking. It's um, demanding, it's entreating or exhorting or beseeching. It means to ask excessively. Satan has demanded to have you. He has been before my throne persistently asking to test you and all of the disciples. You see, he thinks that when Jesus is crucified, they'll all uh, defect and disappear, and there will be no one then to preach the good news of the cross. So, he is actively and vigorously seeking to undermine the, the ministry of these disciples. We need to understand that, that we have an implacable enemy who is determined to neutralize our witness in the world. He will resort to any means to undermine the faith of God's believing people. He seeks for every opportunity he can to lead Christians astray and to lead them away from the Lord. Don't underestimate the enemy that we have. He is a roaring lion, says Peter, seeking whom he may devour. So, the focus of the temptation, the source of the temptation. And then, notice the permission for the temptation. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. The authorized version uh, translates that as Satan hath desired. Now, that is too weak, far too weak. The NIV is better. He has asked to sift you like wheat. The ESV is probably too strong. He has demanded to sift you as wheat. He had to ask, but he asked in this intensive way. He asked persistently. And that's a vital truth for us to grasp, that God has put parameters on Satan and his activity in the world. And just like the case of Job, Satan has to ask permission. Hope you get the force of this. He has to ask permission to tempt the believer. You remember the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13? I used to, when I was first converted, I wrote these words out and kept them in my blazer pocket at school. God will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear. That He restricts Satan in the veracity of his temptations. He knows how much we can take, and He, he knows uh, and he'll not permit Satan to go beyond our, our breaking point. 
that he is in control even of the temptations and the, the trials that come upon us in this life. If, if the Lord taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, then he has control over temptation, that he can deliver us from evil. And that's why Martin Luther dared to call the devil God's devil, that he's actually under the control of God himself. John MacArthur says, the bigger and stronger your devil, the weaker and smaller your God. And the truth of the matter is, some Christians have far too big a devil and far too small a God. God hasn't vacated his throne. Even in this coronavirus, he hasn't abandoned his throne. He still rules Overall, even when it comes to the whole realm of temptation and trial, if God didn't restrain Satan, none of us would stand. None of us would stand. You might say, well, I have problems with that. If, if uh, he is in control of, of the devil, why does he allow temptations in the first place to take place? Well, we'll see that in a moment or two. So here we have the temptation Peter encountered. The focus of it, well, all the disciples, but focus particularly upon Peter, the source of it, Satan, and the permission for it. He has asked, asked intensively, but asked nevertheless the temptation that he encountered. Secondly, notice the fall that Peter faced. Look at verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is making a prediction. He's giving a prophecy. He is telling Peter and the disciples that they would fall. Like Humpty Dumpty, uh, they would have a great fall. And when you turn back, he says, strengthen your brothers. He would, Peter would turn away, and he would need to turn back. The authorized version says, when thou art converted. But that word converted means to turn around. It means to turn back. You're going in one direction, and you're turned around to go in the other direction. So, Simon would turn away from Jesus, and he would have to turn back to Jesus. He would fall. Jesus is certain about that. I want you to think about that for a moment. Why out of all the disciples would, would Simon or Peter have such a spectacular fall? After all, he was the leading disciple. Um, at least he was one of the leading disciples. He was the one at Caesarea Philippi. You remember who Jesus, when Jesus asked, who do you men say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he saw Jesus walking on, on, on water, he's over the boat walking towards Jesus on water too. Now, he did sink, but none of the other disciples went over the bow of the boat to walk on water towards Jesus. He was one of the three that was sub selected to witness the transfiguration and to uh, um, watch our Lord praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet to be sure he had weaknesses. But he was a man of tremendous faith and courage too. Why did he fall? What led Peter to fall in such a spectacular way? Well, I think you get a, a hint of that in verse 33. Just look at verse 33. 
Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. Here he is in the light of this prediction that Jesus makes, and he says, not me, Lord. They may fall away. They may deny you, but not me. I'm ready. I'm prepared. If you go to prison, I'll be with you in prison. If they sentence you to death, I will die with you. Do you see what his problem was? He was overconfident. He thought it could never happen to him. Not me, Lord. I'm not so sure about the others, but I'm never going to stumble in my love and loyalty to you. He didn't realize the weakness of his own heart. I'm sure, I'm sure that he meant every word when he said to Jesus, if you go to prison or die, I will be with you. But he didn't realize how weak and prone to temptation he was. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The NIV puts it like this, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Never presume that you are strong enough in the face of temptation. That's a lie and a strategy of Satan. Look at our Lord's response to his protests of loyalty in verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, before the rooster... um, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. The Jews divided the evening, that's from sunset to sunrise, into four watches. And the last watch uh, was known as the rooster watch. And it was known as the rooster watch because the rooster broke that watch by its crowing. So, Jesus is saying, before dawn, Within a few hours, you will deny me, deny that you ever knew me, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times you will deny any knowledge or acquaintance with me. We know how literally and how perfectly that was fulfilled in Peter. Jesus knew this overconfident disciple better than he knew himself. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the truth is, we can't know it. We can't fathom it. We can't plumb it. We can't um, weigh anybody else's hearts, but more significantly, we can't see into our own hearts. We just don't know the depths of sin's potential in our own hearts. We can't tell uh, if we will be able to resist the temptation when it comes our way. It was Robert Murray McShane who said that the seeds of every sin lie in my own heart. My heart is a human heart. My heart is a fallen heart. My heart is a sinful heart. It is capable of yielding to every sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe the potential for every sin lies in your own heart? And you say, oh, not me, not me. To deny the Lord? Oh, never. To lose my temper and strike someone? Never, never would I do that. To commit adultery? To steal another man's wife? Not me. I would never do that. Homosexuality? 
Oh, not me. But you must never think that you are incapable of any sin. If it wasn't for God and His grace, we would all fall. Peter's self-confident boasting paved the way for him denying the Lord three times. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Our attitude should always be, there go I, but for the grace of God. Or as Robert Murray McShane said when he was talking about sin's potential in his own heart, he says, I have no hope but as a worm on the arm of Jesus. Peter had a great fall a fall that he thought he was incapable of. We must never drop our guard when it comes to sin and temptation. The fall that Peter faced, the temptation Peter encountered, the fall that Peter faced, the recovery that uh, Peter experienced thirdly. Look at the text again there in verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, that announcement of failure must have been devastating, not only to the disciples, but to Peter in particular, that Simon Peter would have a great fall. But unlike Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords would put him together again. He would be restored. Look at the text again. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Notice it doesn't say if you turn back, but when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. Our Lord was absolutely sure and confident that Peter would turn back after this fall. Now, why did he display such confidence when it came to Peter? Was it just that the Lord could look into the future and see what was going to happen uh, to Peter? Well, of course, our Lord knew the future. He could predict the future, but it's more than that. Notice the reason Jesus gives for his preservation and his repentance, but I, verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you see the reason for his repentance, the reason for his recovery? I have prayed for you. Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. He failed as a man. He failed as a follower. He failed as a Christian. And his faith uh, failed too, but it didn't utterly fail. William, William Henriksen translates that, that your faith may not utterly fail. In all of his denials, the, the flicker of faith was still there. It was burning low, but it would one day burn uh, brightly again into a living and vibrant faith. And the reason that faith would burn brightly again was because of this phrase, but I have prayed for you. Our Lord interceded for him. Now, we know when we put the gospel records together that Jesus had prayed that wonderful prayer in John 17, the, the Lord's Prayer, on behalf of his disciples. 
And I, I set you that task for a little bit of homework to, to go and read John 17. John 17 and verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus prays for Peter, and he prays for the, the apostles, and he prays for spiritual protection. And that's what he meant when he says to Peter, but your faith will not utterly fail because I have prayed for you. The reason why Peter would recover, the reason why Peter would be restored to communion and fellowship with God was because of the prayers of Jesus, because he is God's Son. He always prays in accordance with the, the will of God, and his prayers are always answered. And he is the reason why Peter's faith did not utterly fail, and why Peter would turn back again. I want you to get this. Peter's faith survived and recovered because the Lord Jesus was praying for him. If he had been left to himself like Judas, he would never have recovered. But Jesus prayed for him. And the same is true of you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose it. If I... If I uh, had to save myself, I could never save myself. But if I had to keep myself, I could never keep myself. My faith, the faith of every true believer, cannot fail because that faith is upheld by the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, where He is praying for you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ at this very moment. That wonderful verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and verse 20, uh, uh, 25, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost. You know, some preachers come and they, they say he's able to save to the uttermost, and they interpret that as he is able to save to the guttermost. That, that doesn't, it's true that he can save right into the gutter, but that's not what that means. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely. He is able to save forever. He is able to save eternally. He is able to save to the uttermost, the uttermost, until He brings us safely into heaven. And why is He able, Hebrews 7, to save to the uttermost? Because he always lives to make intercession for us. This is why the believer will be saved and cannot be lost, because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for him. I, I was wondering how I was going to tie this sermon into Easter. This is how it ties into Easter, that Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended into glory and at this very moment, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is making intercession for you and I that our faith will not utterly fail. J.C. Ryle says of the Christian, his enemies are mighty. 
His strength is small. The world is so full of snares. But He has a mighty friend who is at the right hand of God who ever lives to make intercession for Him. So a true believer may wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He may feel, he may fall, he may sin grievously, but he is kept by the praying ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know some of you have wandered away from God. And some of you have been away from God for a very long time. But you're back now. Do you know the reason you're back now? Is because Jesus is praying for you. He prayed that your faith may not utterly fail. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. The recovery Peter experienced but I have prayed to you, uh, for you that your faith may not utterly fail. The temptation Peter encountered, the fall that Peter faced, the recovery Peter experienced, the last thing is the ministry that Peter received. Failure is not final. That's the message of this portion of Scripture. I want you to notice the end of verse 32. And when you have turned back again, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's, it's very important to notice that, that the Lord wasn't finished with Peter as a disciple, nor was He finished with him as a servant. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. That Peter's restoration was not only to the Lord, but to service. He was given a ministry. What a ministry he had, because he was able to empathize and sympathize with broken disciples who had filed up and failed. He had been there. He could identify with that. And you, you see that tenderness, I think, coming through in his epistles. He, he knew, he knew that failure was not final. Do you remember that account of Peter's restoration to ministry in John chapter 21? And the disciples had gone out to fish, maybe gone back to their old occupation. Well, the Lord's finished with us. He has risen, but He's finished with us because we have failed and failed miserably. And they come ashore, and there's a, car, a charcoal fire. When, when was the last time there was a charcoal fire? Well, when Peter warmed himself at the high priest's house when he denied him three times. There's a charcoal fire designed, I think, to indicate and recall to his memory uh, his failure. And then the Lord says to him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Why three times? Why does he ask him that three times? Well, he denied the Lord three times. And when Peter says, I do, yes, I, I, I love you, the Lord says to him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He is not only forgiven, but he is entrusted with a, a ministry, shepherding the people of God. Now, isn't that, that glorious? When you turn back, you're paralyzed in your, your 
Christian experience from then to the day that you die. No, no, no. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You see, sometimes Christians can fail, and then through guilt they feel they feel that they can never do anything for the Lord again. Uh, they say, well, look, yes, I believe God's has forgiven me. I'm restored to the Lord, but, but I can't do anything for Him. I couldn't, I couldn't join the church. I couldn't serve as a deacon. I could never engage in this or that ministry because I have filed up. But in the Christian church, failure is not final. And of course, it's important that the church accepts that. Some churches would write people off. Some pe- churches would write Peter off. Uh, you know, he's the one who denied the Lord. He, he's not fit to be a deacon, never mind an elder. Well, Peter did describe himself as an elder. He took that title for himself. But Jesus says to him, when you turn back, strengthen the brothers, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my... I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel that's just glorious, isn't it? It's wonderful. Do you know one of the most encouraging verses that I've ever found in the Bible is this? It's a very strange verse, but it's the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Failure is not final. Don't let the devil paralyze you into inactivity by you thinking God could never use the likes of you again. That is not the gospel. Of course, when we fail, we need to pick ourselves up, we need to dust ourselves off, and we need to start all over again, as the famous song goes. Well, we need to pick, we need the Lord to pick us up and dust us off and to start all over again. We need to come back to God. We need to come back with heartfelt repentance, seeking to taste afresh the calm of sins forgiven. We, we need that. We need that desperately, but we must understand that that failure, no matter how deep it was, is not unforgivable, nor should it paralyze us in serving the Lord in the future. That's the principle that we see in Peter's life. Failure is not final. The temptation Peter encountered, the fall that Peter faced, the recovery that Peter experienced, and the ministry Peter received. Amen.